Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A midweek edition of the VanCast, J-Pat and Rancer and Tom, we put out the call to the VIPs. We said, hey, let's do a mailbag. We haven't done one of these in a while. And to the surprise of no one here, the VIPs responded in a big, big way. The mailbag's full. The mailbag's broken. Bursting at the seams. We're going to be picking the mail up off the floor here. Um, over 150 responses, over 150 questions. I, I like so much demand. We might have to do a part two. Let's see how many we get through here, JPAT. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of ground to cover. So let's dive right in, right? Well, first of all, though, like, where do you find a mailbag repairman in this day and age? The North Pole, I'd imagine. <laughs> we need a magic mailbag. <laughs> Uh, lots of good questions. Obviously, there's a lot uh, going on around this Vancouver Canuck hockey team. Even though all is quiet in the here and now, we keep saying, oh, the coaching staff, and maybe in addition, we talked about uh, Brad Shaw the other day, and still nothing as we record this uh, midweek. So at some point, the news cycle is going to pick up. But in the absence of the Canucks actually making announcements, lots of questions from the VIPs about this offseason and beyond for the hockey club. So uh, let's jump right in, shall we? Let's do it. All right. This one comes from Jasper Y. Given that, you're sta- given that you stated the ideal contending window is 2022-23, are there any worries that should the season go sour, the Canucks risk Bo Horvat and JT Miller potentially leaving the hockey club? Players want to win. Fundamentally, right? Like fundamentally, players want to play for winning teams. The teams that get a lot of guys to sign below market are teams that win, period. And if multiple seasons here go sideways, then, you know, I I do think that those players are going to have to consider that. Now, they're going to have to weigh other factors, including, you know, in Bo Horvat's case, the fact that he's the captain here, the fact that I'm sure the club will make a big offer and and be motivated to keep him. Uh, You know, there's a lot that goes into players deciding where they want to play. It's a very personal decision. But you're always on the back foot if you're a team that's not contending for the cup. Like, you're always on the back foot. And I think back to the question that we asked Bo Horvat during the season. And and actually, I think it was my question. When, When I asked him about, you know, the results were sort of going sideways on the team. And I sort of asked him about, you know, 
whether or not he had the patience to be part of a rebuild. And he swatted that aside pretty significantly. Right. Do you remember this? He was just like, I do. Yeah. He was just like, no, like that's not what we're doing. That's not what I want to be a part of. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I, is there pressure on this organization to win quickly so that players like Bo Horvat, as they come up for UFA are more motivated to stay um, so that it's not just about the Canucks making the biggest offer in terms of treasure and term. Yeah, I mean, there has to be. There has to be. I don't think that's groundbreaking or anything. Uh, I'm, I don't, I mean, there has to be. Yes, there is. There must be. And I, I mean, I think that's straightforward for me anyway, it is. Yeah, and I think, you know, JT Miller said, hey, he wants to be back here. Um, and, and I believe him. Like, I, I think, you know, the chance that he's had to be a frontline guy and play, he wants to be a part of the solution. But I could see him making a clean break easier than I could Horvat, for the reasons that you mentioned, like it's complicated. He's the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. Like they bestow that honor upon the guy. He wants to win here. Uh, a Canadian knows, uh, you know, the Canadian market like Miller. Uh, and I'm not saying he's trying to get out, but I could just see JT Miller making a clean break easier than I could Bo Horvat, uh, when their contracts are up. Yeah. He's also moved multiple times in his career, right? Like he was picked yeah. by the Rangers. He shuttled up and down between the Rangers and Hartford. He, got traded to Tampa Bay. He got traded again in the wake of a playoff sweep to Vancouver. Like he's, he's seen the business a little bit more up, up close and personal. Whereas Bo Horvat has been a Canuck his whole career. If he played games in Utica, it was like on injury reassignment, right? Like it was like played like four games in Utica. You know, this, this guy's been played for one NHL team. So yeah, I mean, I think the contrast, I think that's a totally fair point to note and, and a completely understandable one. But yeah, is there pressure on this team to win? There has to be, especially if, especially in the context of acquiring, recruiting, and retaining top talent. Nicholas A., our next question. Now that the Sven Berchi era is over, this was our most liked question, so we have to ask, ask it. Now that the Sven Berchi era is over, what was the real reason he never got another chance in the NHL? Did Travis Green dislike him that much? Did he piss off someone else in the organization? There's a lot to unpack with Berchi, but fundamentally, I don't think it's very complicated. Like, I do think that the Canucks decided to prioritize size on the wing. I think with Berchi, there was some concern that he was, you know, Jim Benning used the term soft skill, and and I don't think that was him speaking clumsily. I mean, maybe it was him speaking clumsily from an executive point of view, but I don't think it was him speaking clumsily in terms of not communicating the real reason for it. Like, I think that's how he became viewed over time. You know, there's been some question marks about, you know, loud arguments or, or what have you. I don't, I don't know that those happened. Like when you think about green and Berchi, I mean, They've known each other since Berchi was 16. Um, I, I don't think there was a ton of personal enmity there or, or any significant fireworks. I think it was a, they had obviously had a tough conversation with him before they placed him on waivers at the start of the 1920 season. He went down, um, conducted himself well. The comments, like he was the best player in the AHL for those first six weeks that he went down. Then he came up, he played six games and he had the, dead controller back check in Dallas and we never saw him again. And then there was in that early December of 2019, 20, 
you know, he was placed again on waivers and that was sort of as the result of some agitation from his agent. And, you know, I, I think there was frustration internally over how that was handled. He cleared waivers. Um, you know, from that point forward, I do think it was sort of fait accompli. Like it was, you know, this is the bed that's been made. Uh, did the club try hard enough to move him at times? I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> my, my personal opinion based on what I, what I heard, but yeah, I mean, they were trying to move him. I, th- I think at that point he was basically persona non grata in terms of getting another NHL shot. Um, he came, he quarantined for two weeks in the summer and then left before the day before training camp. Cole Lind like drove in, he drove uh, just to make it in time to be part of Canucks training camp. That was like a very last minute thing that happened before the summer camp. So that was summer 2020. Um, I think he probably just did the math. He looked around and realized like, am I going to go in the bubble to be their 18th forward? Like, is that what's up? I, I mean, from my understanding and I've, I have asked after this, I don't think there was any, you know, anything super significant there in terms of a, a, a lengthier conversation or, or drama. I, th- I think it was that simple. And then, you know, you get to camp 2021 and I thought he was out there. He worked as, absolute you know yeah he worked his bag off like he worked hard and I just think there was no chance they were considering him and and that sort of opinion you know came to bear like became obvious as the year went on right like there was so many guys called up and Berchu was never an option never even considered he you know I've, I've said that he might as well have been on the moon and you know I think that's fair based on how the club conducted themselves this year so is there more to this story perhaps I've 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 asked about it before. I've tried to get to it. I'll keep trying to get to it, especially now that Berchi uh, is, you know, poised to hit unrestricted free agency. Um, you know, and, and hopefully for him, I mean, he's a thoughtful guy. He's He was a bright spot for this fan base and in this market when during some really lean times. I think he can still play in the NHL. That's my personal opinion. And hopefully he gets another shot. I do think it'll be likely on a PTO or a two-way deal. Like, I don't think this is going to be a straightforward route for him to get back to playing NHL games, much less being, you know, a difference-making piece for an NHL team. But, you know, I do think he has the skills to do it. And I'm curious to see how this sort of unfolds for him this offseason. Yeah, and we always talk about these teams and this pursuit of, you know, value contracts. That might be a guy to take a, a flyer on who's had you know, modest success generating offense in the National Hockey League. We'll see where it goes. I hope he does get another chance. Like, I hope this isn't the end for Sven because he's a good guy. I mean, at this time last year, I had a you know 45-minute conversation with him. I wrote about it uh, too, where he felt that he could still play and could play on any team in the NHL. Like, and I, I can tell you, like, that night when we talked, like, he was frustrated that he wasn't in the NHL, but, like, there was nothing personal, like, he wasn't, you know, throwing darts at Jim or Travis or the organization. Like his frustration was just that he was out of the NHL. Now, a couple of things. I think that there was a point there where he was coming off concussions where the organization just wasn't sure that they could trust that he was going to be able to stay healthy. Like nobody knew, right? Concussions are tricky. His was a serious one. Uh, He talked about contemplating stepping away from the game and some of the decisions and discussions that he had with his wife and his family members. And you could tell, like he was torn, but he wanted to play through it. He got healthier. Sounds like he was absolutely a first-class citizen down in Utica on the farm. Uh, You know, just a pro through and through. So again, like I don't think there was a massive disconnect 
on any personal level. But also when you talk about, you know, soft skill, I, I think the addition of Tanner Pearson followed fairly shortly after by JT Miller was an indication that they wanted to go with heavier guys up front. Like that was just the direction that the Canucks wanted to go with their forward group. Now we saw how they shuffled so many guys through lower in the lineup. And it did seem crazy that, you know, Sven couldn't get another opportunity, but at some point it just kind of felt like that decision had been made and it didn't matter uh, how many bodies were going down at the NHL level. It just wasn't going to happen for Sven Berchi, but you know, full credit to him, like no pissing, no moaning uh, about his lot in life. Uh, he's out from under the shackles of the Vancouver Canucks, and he was compensated well uh, to wear those shackles. I mean, he had a $10 million extension uh, over those three years. It's just unfortunate for him that he got hurt uh, when he did. But really curious to, to see where it goes for here, from here for Sven Berchi. But I don't think that there is this really juicy backstory that – and it, it wasn't an isolated question in the mailbag. Like, there were a handful of people that asked a variation of that that same question. Yeah. Well, and so let's keep working it, but I, I think, yep. uh, you know, I have a little bit. I mean, I certainly have at least cut around the edges and got a couple of accounts uh, internally. And, you know, I, I, I mean, the sense I get is there was definitely some, you know, organizational annoyance at the, you know, sort of agitation that preceded him being placed on waivers, but I, I don't get the sense that there was anything super dramatic when he was originally placed on waivers prior to the start of the 1920 season, nor do I think it was a particularly dramatic, at least from an internal perspective, decision that he made when he decided to leave after quarantining right before the bubble. Um, you know, I, I think that was basically a personal decision. I don't think that was motivated by any further conversations with the organization. And that was a question that I long had because it seemed like such an odd thing to do to quarantine for two weeks and then leave before camp starts. But, right. um, you know, I, I have, I, I mean, I asked about that last summer and didn't seem to be, you know, didn't seem to be something that, you know, even involved significant com uh, consultation with management or the coaching staff. So, um, you know, just a tricky one. And I think probably Occam's razor matters here, right? I just think, I just think he sort of had a sense of where he stood at that point in time. All right, back into the mailbag. This is from Jim V. V as in Victor, not Jim B as in Benning. Uh, hey guys, of course we want a cup, but with injuries, bounces, luck in general, a cup win isn't a reasonable measure of success for a rebuild. I'd say two conference finals over a four-year span would qualify as a successful rebuild, what percentage would you give the Canucks of making two conference finals by the end of the 2025-26 season? That's a really high bar. Like, the 2011 Canucks didn't do that. The 1994 Canucks didn't do that. We've never seen a team in this club's history. No. Right? So... One-and-dones one here in this town. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really high bar. You know, I don't even know, did the Tampa Bay Lightning do, like, if you look at when the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Cup last year, like, from here to 2025-26, right? That's how many seasons in a row, J-Pat? That's four, 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 five more seasons, right? Five more years, yeah. Five more years. So if you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, like, they made the Eastern Conference Final in 10-11, right? Um, well, okay, so the Lightning would have done it. The Lightning would have done it because they lost to the Caps as well. Okay, so in 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 2018, but yeah, I mean that's the sort of team you're talking about capable of doing it. Like if you look at that Lightning team that 
made the cup final and lost to the Blackhawks in 16, right? They missed the playoffs in 16-17. They lose to the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Conference final the next year. They get swept in the first round the next year, and then they win their cup, right? Like, so that's this type of run we're talking about. Like, that's how good you have to be to make multiple conference finals over a five-year stretch. It's, that's a really high bar. What odds do I think the Canucks have of doing that, accomplishing that over the next five years? Not very high, like one in 20, one in 20, 5%. Maybe maybe that's even generous. One in twenty five, four percent. It's something. It's something in that range, though, because the bar set is actually a lot. Like I actually think their chances of making it to a Stanley Cup final are higher than accomplishing that type of sustained success in the playoffs. That's a that's a level of success that's really really high. Even if the Canucks manage to be you know seven minutes from accomplishing that in the bubble, like getting back to that point is going to require an awful lot of things to go their way. Yeah. I mean, ask the Leafs if that's an attainable goal. Ask the Colorado Avalanche, who we've spent all season raving about how they're constructed. And now they're on the verge. I mean, a a hell of a good Carolina hockey club is on the outside looking in now as we record this bounced by another really good team and the defending champs. But, you know, Carolina third in the regular season had looked, I mean, certainly had designs on a deep run and the component parts are all there. Like, it's not easy. We make this point all the time. Like, you put your best foot forward and you want to take as many swings as you can. But, you know, for Carolina, like, that's got to be crushing that they're out as early as they are and Colorado could follow them here, uh, you know, unless they somehow figure things out and and find a way to win back-to-back games now against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So, yeah, I'm with you. Like, that, that seems like, I don't want to say entirely unobtainable because the Islanders may get to back-to-back final fours here. Um, you know, so it can be done, but I, I, in the next five years, two conference finals in the next five years, oof, I don't see that happening. Me neither. Unlikely, but I mean, what, what's it going to take? It's going to take some real home run cuts to upgrade this blue line, all of which connect like <laughs> barrel to the ball you know, you can hear it from the 500s, like the crack of the bat. Uh, those types of swings to uh, rebuild both the blue line and your bottom six. Like you need, I'd say, four more pieces that are top four caliber defensemen or top six caliber forwards with, you know, that pushing guys like Tanner Pearson in near bottom six. Like that's sort of what you need to accomplish considering the club's flexibility, tradable assets, you know, the challenge is the flat cap era, this management group's track record. I, I mean, I think that's unlikely in the extreme. Um, from John T., we often hear you guys talk about sources, either from around the league or within a club. League source says, just wondering how much hockey clubs are aware of these kinds of relationships, and do you have things going the other way where sources are trying to seek out information from you? This is from John T. Um There's then a follow-up question from Kevin N. Let's say you have a source who's a scout, AGM, assistant coach, or random staffer. How deliberate are franchises in controlling the info being shared with you? I.e., do you think GMs ever tell someone working for them that they know is a source for media to send specific info into the media? And have you ever heard of sources being flushed using the dye test for leaking info? I.e., a GM is trying to figure out who's leaking to the media, tells each staffer something different to see what shows up. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. 
That's from Kevin. The the telephone. The follow-up is Kevin N. So for John T, do sources ask or seek out information from you? Yes. That's what the relationship is. That's the entire relationship. Information is the coin of the realm. That is how it goes, right? You, You share intel both ways. And that's also not just because that's how it works, but that's also because, you know, fundamentally your sources are people you you typically like, right? Like these are typically people you chat with regularly and sometimes not even about info, like just, you know, they're people you chat with. Um, You got to chat with everybody. That's the, that's the part, that's the job. Um, In terms of do GMs ever intentionally leak info through, people on the team that they know have more trusting relationships with certain media members than they do, you know, sometimes for sure, for sure. Like there are, you know, I think about, do you remember the first day of the Mike Gillis era or the first free agency day where, you know, they'd struck out on Michael Ryder, they'd struck out on a couple other things. And then later in the day, it's leaked to the media that they've made this Godfather two year, $20 million offer to Matt Sundin. Right. Like that's right. That's a targeted leak. That's the type of thing that a team, you know, like, oh, this isn't going our way. We haven't got any of our sexy targets. You know, let's um, let's make sure people know we're here. Let's make sure people know we're busy. Let's generate some excitement. That's the type of thing that sometimes clubs leak or, or oftentimes what you'll have is, you know, someone explaining something. Right. Like. A, a move goes down or a transaction goes down and it looks like this, but it's really this. And so. You know, you fan out, you have your proxies fan out and explain the decision. I, I mean, that's what we used to do sometimes in Florida, although the eyes in Florida were not as often on the minutia um, of, of Florida Panthers operations as they are in Vancouver. Uh, in terms of the die test, flushed using the die test, like, <laughs> come on, this isn't this isn't the Politburo. <laughs> I, I think teams definitely around the deadline, like you'll start to get people not texting back, you'll start to have people be a little more guarded. You'll start to hear rumblings about in various front offices. They're really mad at someone who's leaked info and, you know, everyone's sort of, so, I mean, yeah, do internal shakedowns like, Hey guys, we have to be buttoned up here. Um, Do those happen? Yes. Do die tests happen with, you know, people share? No, like the, the thing about, it's not like a GM tells their staff a fake thing. Right. Because if a GM tells staff what what's happening, like that's because there are things to do. Right. Like it's not like you just make a trade and the accepted like your trade was accepted just pops up on your on your EA video game (laughs) console. You know, like if you are making a trade. There's flight tickets to book. There's an agent to talk to. There's a chain, like a GM calls a guy. Then a team services guy calls a guy to book their travel. Then a PR guy calls the player to book their media commitments, right? Like there's like a a ton of stuff, a ton of work, actual work that has to happen in and around a player acquisition or a player signing or, you know, any type of recruitment. And so the reason that you expand the circle is because there's 10 people that need to get working on acquiring and getting this player on your team. And then, you know, making sure his equipment's there, getting his Jersey number, getting his Jersey number and his Jersey made and done, you know, uh, creating re- If it's a really big acquisition, there's business ramifications too, in terms of marketing and sales. 
in terms of merchandise. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's why the loop gets bigger as you go. And that's where things begin to leak uh, sometimes, but it's also how you function in a dynamic team environment. Like, I don't know why people would ex- assume that a GM even could, you know, tell some, like, if you tell an AGM, like, hey, we're a f- fake news, we're going to acquire this guy and we're not really going to acquire this guy. Like, you know, what the GM might call the guy's agent, <laughs> you know, or like the AGM <laughs> might, he might start drawing up like an extension offer or he might call central registry <laughs> to like check on, you know, the status of, you know, like it's just not done because it doesn't make sense. So yeah, no, the answer to the die test one is no. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer. If you ask us, make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, let's get back into the mailbag, Tom, from Ariel M. Uh, You did a lot on Hughes versus McCarr last year. Ariel's asking, who holds more value, Petey or McCarr? In terms of what? In terms of likely second contract or in terms of trade value? Uh, He doesn't clarify. It's just a a simple question. Yeah. I think at this juncture in the wake of Pedersen's injury this season and the fact that the Norris Trophy nominations were just announced and Makar is among them, particularly in the event that he wins, he will absolutely be seen as the more valuable piece and is likely, I think, probably to earn more on his second contract. Both of I mean, they're both going to sign their second contracts before next season, so... We'll have a real-time ability to gauge this, but based on the uniqueness of being a Norris, a Calder winner, and then a Norris nominee, um, and and doing what Makar has done, you know, especially should the Avs playoff run continue here and Makar play a major role in it, I do think he can edge ahead of Pedersen. But Pedersen had a stellar performance in the playoffs last year, and in the bloated second contract era, right? He he's still you know, the second highest scoring one of those forwards on their ELC prior to agreeing to their extension, you know, a class that includes Matthews and Marner and uh, Dreisaitl and Eichel and on and on. And granted, Pedersen entered the year or entered the league one year later than those players, took a little bit more time to develop physically. So there's sort of an age thing that needs to be considered there. I still think, you know, Pedersen's a super valuable piece. I just in this moment, in the snapshot of this moment, who's got more relative value league-wide? I think it's Makar, um, at least in terms of contract valuations. Now, trade value, I do think, is probably a little bit different, and here's why. As great as Makar is, as great as Makar is, 
you know, there's a class of young defensemen that are also great in the NHL, including Miro Heskin or and Quinn Hughes and Rasmus Dahlin and, you know, Charlie McAvoy. Um, there's a few guys like that. How many bona fide number one centermen can you think of in the NHL under the age of 22? Right? Like, yeah, no, that's just fair question. Just Petey. Maybe you want to make the argument for Nick Suzuki. Like, sure, sure. I, I have time for that. I'm, I'm really high on Nick Suzuki. But typically speaking, you know, they're just – Pedersen's a rarer player type. And so while I don't think you could move either or either team would ever move either, I think there's an argument to be made that perhaps Pedersen would have more trade value. But – in terms of valuation, especially in the wake of what he accomplished this season, the fact that he was more durable than Pedersen was, the fact that he's a nominee for a major NHL award, uh, you know, I, I'd give the edge to Makar. There's a guy named William H. who's a Lightning fan, and I'm not going to get into his whole question because he explained it at length, but he wanted to propose what we thought about this trade. Calfoot, 14th overall pick in 2017, right-handed defenseman, prospect and Yanni Gord one of my all-time favorites for the ninth overall pick plus Michael Furlan's LTI contract and Tyler Mott at 50% retained so the Lightning get Tyler Mott at you know 700k uh, almost below league minimum what do you think of that deal the Canucks would end up giving up their ninth overall pick but they'd get a legit like top six caliber forward, a guy who could maybe be a top liner as a complimentary piece, like in that Zach Hyman, Alex Burroughs mold, if he could find chemistry with one of Horvat or Patterson, you know, still young, relatively fair contract. Plus they get a, a prized right-handed defenseman, only 22 years old, fits sort of what they're looking for, more NHL ready than anyone they'd pick ninth overall. They give up Furlan's LTI deal, they give up Tyler Mott, and they retain some money to make it work for Tampa, and they give up the ninth overall pick. I, I actually like this one. I think this is a really smart hypothetical trade. I, I think that's something that the Canucks would actually have to consider pretty strongly, mostly because Yan Gord is real good. No, you, like when you think of how many hypotheticals are floated, um, and most of them are laughable, right? Like this one, and I saw it, like... Uh, you know, as I was working through it and I'm thinking like, that checks off a lot of boxes. I know like we both stated as recently as the last pod, you know, neither one of us really in favor of moving that ninth overall pick. But if it's going to happen, uh, I, I like, I, I like this trade. I, I like the idea. There's a lot of layers to it, but I, from a Canucks perspective, you're right to get a guy like Gord, but also, uh, you know, I guess, and, and nobody's got a crystal ball is, you know, does Cal Foot become the player that you hope he does? Because if he does, absolutely, he addresses a huge need for the Vancouver Canucks. So, uh, well done. I, I, I thought uh, yeah, you know, that was a really, really a thoughtful really smart trade proposal. Yeah. I still think you. I still think if you're the Canucks, the problem with that deal is you're taking on Yan Gord at five million, and you're losing Furlan's three five right, uh, which would go on LTI. Um, so that's like not cap savings for you it's cash savings for you and you're now well but much better positioned to use the abbotsford ahl team to toll daily space and upgrade your club in season but that's five million like that leaves you with 
that leaves you with really having to do a Braden Holtby buyout, right? Because then you're right. looking at like yep. three million to to address your defense core, uh, third line center, or or top six. Wing. Well, I guess Gord is your top six wing, but even st- even still, uh, I I mean, I guess I guess it makes sense, but it's you still need you basically do Hamonic. If you do Hamonic at two, Gord at five, like. You know, you maybe can add another league minimum guy. Plus, you've just lost Tyler Mott, who's one of your best bottom six forwards. Like, I just, I, I think it's too much money committed. It, you, you're locked in if you make that deal to having to do a Holtby buyout. So you have to consider the fact that you're also adding two million to your cap next year in terms of that penalty. Uh, I think you have to consider too the opportunity cost of not having flexibility to really flesh out the depth of your roster as a result of committing $5 million, even if it is to a player that I really believe um, is good and can do even more in a more, you know, in, in bigger minutes and a bigger opportunity, who could who could take a JT Miller-type leap in, in the event that he came to Vancouver in Yan Gord. I, I just don't... This club is so hamstrung in terms of their overall cap commitments that, that type of, even that type of deal, I think, limits their options unduly. Um, and that's a tough place to be in, but that's the medicine you end up having to take when you, you know, commit 20 million or, or at least 16 million to guys like Erickson and Beagle and, you know, go on down the list. Uh, a decade ago, it seemed the Canucks in Florida were linked in a series of trades. Now it looks like it's going to be the Canucks in Tampa. This is going to become an annual thing, perhaps, that uh, the Canucks are just going to keep peddling first round picks to the Tampa Lightning. Uh, again, this is all hypothetical, so uh, pretty good chance that it doesn't go down this way. Uh, Azaz C asks a three-pronged question here. Who do you predict will take a step up next season? Who do you think played at their true level? And who do you think regresses next season? Uh, yeah, okay. Bounce back candidates for me would be Nate Schmidt. I think Nate Schmidt can do more. I, I, I don't think we've seen what Nate Schmidt is, frankly, in his first season in Vancouver. I think he's better than what he showed. He would be at the top of my bounce back candidates list. I think he's he's the one that stands out for me. Then, then what else is it? Guys who played at their true level, I'm going to pick JT Miller. I think that JT Miller is more likely to be a top six caliber player than the elite player that we saw in 1920, right? Like he was one of the 15 most valuable forwards in hockey in his first Canucks season. I think, you know, realistically his, his true level is probably somewhere between that and what he did this past season, like a slightly more defensively reliable top six forward, you know, fewer giveaways, but also not, um, you know, the engine uh, of a team that, got to within seven minutes of a uh, <laughs> of a birth in the conference final in 1920. So JT Miller would be my guy who played at his level. And a guy likely to regress a bit, I will pick, you know, uh, there, there's a couple candidates for me. I think, I think as these guys continue to age especially considering their play styles, which are relatively physical. They take a lot of hits. They throw a lot of hits. It's demanding on your body. And we know that players in the new NHL tend to fall off pretty precipitously or can fall off precipitously at the age that these two players are at. The guys that I'm sort of eyeing here are Tanner Pearson, right? And Tyler Myers. Uh, We already saw Tyler Myers' defensive game fall off a fair bit this past year. 
which was lost by the way in the in the Stetcher Myers wars of this week, right? Is that <laughs> is that like, you know, I have an I, I can see the argument for Myers being better than Stetcher when they were last teammates in 1920. But Myers's defensive effectiveness fell off really significantly this past season. Is that age? Does it bounce back? I'm not sure. And for me, that's sort of a, you know, a, a thing that wasn't discussed and, and really should be at the forefront of any discussion in, in sort of where these two players are at. Um, Myers is a guy for me, too, who could regress further uh, next season. Yeah, I mean, I look at Pedersen and Hughes as guys that have to take a step. And I'm excited to see Elias Pedersen trying to make up for lost time. Like, you know, mm-hmm. that it crushed him to miss as many games as he did. He was playing his best hockey when he got hurt. And so, uh, you know, I just think his trajectory is still uh, on a steep climb. And so, you know, when we're talking about, you know, a, sort of a bounce back, I mean, obviously his numbers were hampered because he only played 26 games. But I, I just think, I think Quinn Hughes is going to be de- dedicated to his craft and he'll try to figure out what he needs to do defensively. And, and you know, that to me is the path forward for this organization is that your best players are in fact your best players. Who do you think played at the true level? I think Brock Besser did. I think, uh, you know, I think Besser showed that he can be a 30-goal scorer and and was sort of on that pace uh, in a shortened season. But I think, and I when I say he played at his level, I, I mean that in the best possible way. Like, this was a good season for him. He bounced back from the 16-goal season the year before. I would agree with you. I think maybe we're already seeing the regression in Tanner Pearson, and that was all the talk when they re-signed him. And that's the concern here moving forward. And I would agree. I mean, Tyler Myers, we all talked about uh, that contract's not going to age well, that, you know, they would do well to get a couple of good years off the top because of the back end. Uh, It was probably likely to really drag for the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, I I think, again, in his own zone, his decisions without the puck, his reads and his reactions and those types of things, uh, those are the red flags for me. And I think you're likely to see more of those from a guy like Tyler Myers uh, next season. From Joshua K, if one of the team's biggest needs is top four RD, who catches your eye as the best potential trade slash free agent targets for this offseason and next? There's nothing harder than adding a top four right-handed defenseman to your lineup. Like, it is one of the hardest things to do in the sport, frankly. Um, But, but, there's a really good class of RD Poised to become UFAs next season, right? Pareko, Ryan mm-hmm. Pulock, John Klingberg, and Seth Jones, Seth Jones? all among yeah. them. Um, you know, that's the that's the list right there, right? Like, do the St. Louis Blues consider restocking after a disappointing season last year? Uh, especially as they size up the central and go, oh boy, we've got a lot of <laughs> competition here. Maybe we need to take a step back to take a step forward. I mean, everyone knows how I feel about Colton Pareko. Um, you know, those 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 are your targets. Like, those are your targets. And then a couple guys I'd add, uh, Damon Severson in New Jersey. Do the New Jersey Devils look at themselves and think, hey, we're ready to take a step? Or do they think they need to go through some more pain before they're going to be ready to contend? Because if the answer is the latter, the way, like, he's only signed for one year beyond that, Right. Uh, that could be a, that could be one too, to to a sort of eye and and he's a, he's a Western Canadian kid so I'm sure his name will come up maybe we're still one cycle away from that but you know that that's sort of a name that would you know come to mind for me um, 
you know, and then, I mean, those are the guys. Those, those for me are the guys. So I've got a project for the VIPs here because I was doing this. Go to Cap Friendly and search through all the defensemen on expiring contracts this year. Oh. So you can go in their search function and UFAs. And like within the top 35, you get to names like Eric Goodbranson, right. Michael Delzotto, Jordy Ben, Alex Edler, Ben Hutton. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> These guys have all been through Vancouver. Like, there's six guys or was it? Yeah, I think five or six guys in the top 35. But like that's sort of the idea of who's available. Like obviously Dougie Hamilton at the top of the list, but it gets really thin in a real hurry. And these are left and right shot guys. So to try and unearth a right shot guy uh, just makes it that much more difficult. So, you know, it keeps coming back to this idea that the Canucks may have to take their medicine this offseason. I mean, they're going to find players to play for them, but whether they are upgrades on what they had, whether they move this organization forward for next season, I think that's still uh, a question that is very much in doubt. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, uh, shall we get to uh, a bit of a lightning round here and just try and work in a few more? Again, uh, there were so many good questions that, you know, in the absence of hard Canuck news, uh, you know, we may work in a few questions uh, along the way in future VanCasts as well. So uh, if your question doesn't get answered here today, uh, it's not in vain. Uh, we will keep the mailbag open and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll dig in from time to time as well. Uh, do you got anything to start us here on the on the lightning round? On the lightning round. Sure. Let's go with <laughs> from Joseph V. You've been adamant that JT Miller plays better on the wing. Do you think that the team's overall is better off with him at 3C? Given how hard it is to find a competent third-line center on the market versus a top-six winger, do you think this move makes sense from a team perspective, even if you're not maximizing JT Miller's value? If not, who do you realistically see in the 3C spot? It's a big question. I just think 
situationally, you need more options. You need more options. And yeah, there aren't any good three C's, but there's guys like Carl Soderberg who are going to be affordable. You know, there are, there is a secondary market that's going to come about. Um, there are ways of addressing, you know, a, a 12 minutes at five on five a night piece without moving your, you know, most used point per game forward to a depth center spot for me. And I mean, there has to be like, do I have a really good third C solution for you? I don't partly because I don't know who's going to go unqualified here. I don't know who's going to shake loose, but I mean, even just perusing the centerman, like, do I think you're better off signing Carl Soderberg at one year affordably than you are moving JT Miller to center? Yes, I do. I, I really do. And so, yeah, I mean, it, look, it's a challenging one, but I just think fundamentally you, you can't, you don't get better by using JT Miller differently, in my view. He, he needs to be put in the best position to succeed. And for me, the best position to succeed is on Pedersen's left wing. There's a unique chemistry there. That's your top line. And figuring out your third line is not worth disrupting that, particularly because I think Miller helps Pedersen drive play. I think Pedersen's a better play driver with Miller. And I don't think that Miller is a driver of his own line at quite the same level that he can be riding shotgun with Petey. Uh, I just think you hurt yourself overall. So yeah, I mean, fundamentally my answer is um, that no, I don't think it makes sense from a team perspective. I think I've been clear about that, but in building through depth charts and, you know, uh, things like that early on this offseason, I am penciling him in there because that is what I expect the organization to be thinking and to, and to be, you know, weighing. Uh, I think that's going to happen. I just don't think it's what should happen. Right. And for me, it's sort of a back to the future thing here. Like, I just want to be entertained. I want to see good hockey. And I think when the Canucks were playing their best hockey and we saw it in the bubble uh, last summer, it was Pedersen, it was Miller. Uh, Toffoli was still around when he was uh, healthy and playing. But we've seen that Besser can certainly, you know, the lotto line when it's on. Like, I want to go back to where that was one of the best lines in hockey. And, um, you know, just spending most of its shifts turning defenses inside out and wearing them down and generating scoring chances. Um, you know, if you put Miller at center, yeah, you get this spine. Like I get it. You got three solid guys, but we asked that question about who's playing the wings. And right now the answer is nobody. And I, I don't want nobody on Elias Pedersen's wing. Like I want Elias Pedersen loaded up with the best possible line mates to maximize uh, his skill level and his potential. So uh, I, I'm with you there. Uh, I'm I, I figure it out somehow. But to me, JT Miller as Pedersen's wingman is what makes sense. All right, from Andrew C. Tom Benning always seems to telegraph his intentions when he's going in on free agents, and he points out to Myers, uh, Lucic, Erickson. I, I think you can go back to the Ole Levy draft. Uh, go back beyond that. Willie Desjardins is uh, the first head coach that was hired uh, by this management group. Like they got locked on. And I, I do think it was a fault of Jim's. I think he's been better about this in recent years. So the question is, any news on who he is excited about this year with excited in quotations? And again, I think the Canucks have, have gotten a little smarter on this front that they're not tipping their hand the way that they did uh, even a few seasons ago. So I'm not, I'm not sure about you, but I, I really haven't heard them 
linked to anybody. Now, part of that is the way that they are handcuffed with their salary cap situation and all of the work. Like Jim's got a pretty hefty to-do list here in the next uh, six weeks or so. Um, so maybe it's the fact that he's been concentrating on some other things. Uh, COVID is sort of an overarching theme to the season, took up a lot of oxygen, but uh, I have not heard the Vancouver Canucks link to any, you know, one uh, unrestricted free agent to be in particular. No, nor have I. Uh, we'll give, let's give it some time. We'll get there. It's a little yep. early in the off season for that. From Mike H. I'm guessing this is Mike Halford. <laughs> what are the chances Louis takes his $1 million bonus in July and then mutually agrees to part ways with the Canucks and head back to Sweden? Less money for him, but chance to play for a home club and not in the minors. Zero, zero percent, zero percent chance, Mike Gage. I'm sorry, zero percent. Three million dollars. Like, man, do you know how many years you have to play to make up that money in in the SHL? Come on, come on. No one walks away from three million dollars at this stage of their career. Make yourself whole, man. Make you you make yourself whole, and then you walk away. It's only twelve more months. Probably, it's in the valley now. It's not even in Utica. Uh, the clubs missed their chance to really press Ericsson, in my opinion. Um, this is this contract is going to be on their books, and you know there might be ways to move it if you retain half and take a bad contract back or something like that. But that's the sort of thing it's going to take. He's not walking away. The Canucks aren't just poof going to have six million dollars in cap space. No, no one. Don't say no one though, because Marcus Naslin did the final year of his deal. I think he had three million left on his contract with the Rangers. And he left. So it has happened, but it rarely happens. And in this case, we've been talking about it for every summer. We talk about once he gets this bonus, you know, what are the chances that he just walks away? I'm with you. Uh, I think he's in for the long haul. Um, but Naslin did it because he didn't want to not be an everyday player. Erickson's already not been an everyday <laughs> player for two and a half years. You know, like for me, those aren't even analogous. Like just 0%. No way. No chance. All right, final one here for this version of the Mailbag Vancast. comes from Justin T. Uh, I'm not going to suggest that it's the Prime Minister. I think it's just another guy that is Justin T. Um, Quinn Hughes mentioned that unlike in previous off-seasons, he'll be working on specific things this off-season. What specific things do you think he might be referring to? Specific things related to being a defender was the was the full quote, and I'm paraphrasing. Right. But yeah. I, I mean, very, very specifically, he said, usually I work on skills things. Now I'm going to work on specific defensive things that I need to get better at. That was the full quote, or at least the full context of his quote. And so I don't think there's a ton of mystery. I think he, I think Quinn Hughes wants to be a better defensive player. I think he knows he has to be a better defensive player to achieve what he wants to in the NHL, which is, you know, be one of the best in the league. Um, if not the best in the league, and win a lot. And those are the things I think he's going to work on. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that includes, you know, everything from adding weight to, you know, watching some video, making sure that he's stronger on his gap, being even more disciplined than he has been. And he's been genuinely okay at this, um, at getting in on guys' hands, separating guys from pucks, being more of that Ryan Ellis-style undersized defender or Sam Gerrard style undersized defender than, you know, how he looked occasionally this past season. Uh, that's, I think, what he means. Yeah. And, and just think about it. Like the Canucks are going to do everything they can to support him. So they will 
uh, as you talked about, whether it's video, whether it's consultations with the coaching staff, whatever. I mean, this is one of their prize pieces. They're going to do everything in their power to help him. He's got one of the most powerful agents in the world who certainly uh, can find resources that can help him. Uh, he comes from a family and his dad's involved in the, the coaching side. Like, you know, he's got so many resources to draw on. And I think we've seen already, like he's a competitive guy. Uh, it wasn't just lip service. Like he knows that early in the season, particularly uh, way too many pucks going in at his end, uh, even though he was picking up points that, you know, the points are negated if, they're scoring two for every one that you're helping at the other end of the ice. So this is a guy that wants to get better. I think he took some of that, uh, some of those defensive struggles personally, and and I'm encouraged by all of that. And I think he will be better forward in the long run. So uh, yeah, my sense is he'll put in the work necessary uh, and focus some of that work on those particular areas to get better in his own zone. I uh, want to mention that the Athletic Hockey Show has expanded to five days a week now. Monday with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian. Tuesday, it's Craig Customs and Sean Gentilly. On Wednesday, you've got the two-man advantage version of the Athletic Hockey Show. Scott Burnside and Le- Pierre Lebrun are the hosts of that one. On Thursday, it's Ian Mendez with Down Goes Brown. And on Friday, we have added the Prospect Series ahead of the draft. Max Boltman and Corey Pronman are the two involved in the Friday version of the Athletic Hockey Show, the Prospect Series. So you may want to check that out as we work our way to that uh, third week of July and the NHL draft. We always tell you as well to check out our comment section for each podcast episode that we record. Uh, You can do that at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. We said it right off the top, Tom. The people did not disappoint. They they never do. Uh, no. When it comes to the support, the thoughtfulness of the questions. And again, there were way too many to get to in one VanCast episode. So uh, we'll keep some on file here and uh, hopefully get to a few more here in the in the days and the weeks ahead. Sounds good. Yeah, let's definitely do it. Uh, even even some of the pointed ones. <laughs> we'll make sure to... We'll make sure to... The, the, the one guy who asked... Um, who asked how I got the job in Florida since Canucks Army blogger doesn't seem like a credible <laughs> set of qualifications. Um, one. <laughs> you know, thanks, Christy. <laughs> uh, way, to, way to completely undersell my career trajectory, you jerk. Uh, but we'll answer that next episode. Yes. Uh, so maybe... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not such a VIP when it uh, when it came to that one. Just a just a P. Uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, for Drancer, it's J Pat. As always, uh, thanks so much for listening and for your support of the Vancast here at the Athletic and the Athletic.com.